Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John will have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves and bread. But, but he answered, It is written, Man shall not, be, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only, so you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came. And we're ministering to him. Amazing. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't we reach our hands? Let's pray for blessing. We don't want these guys to come and be at Emmaus without getting blessed and going back. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for their ministry in Spain. We pray right now, Lord Jesus, that anything from this house, would it be deposited into them? Lord, would they go home blessed? We pray for anointing over all of the work of their hands. In your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I would like to speak to you out of this passage of Scripture. Jesus, I'm sure, in the wilderness, I'm sure it's a story that many of you know well. And um, 
The reason that it's been on my heart is one, as we prepare for baptism in a few weeks' time, but it also pulls together a lot of the themes that I think that we have been focusing on over the last few weeks, themes of purity and identity, themes of faithfulness and the promise of Scripture, and they all converge in this dramatic story of Jesus being sent out into the wilderness. And this story is very significant and unique in the Gospels. The first reason is that three of the four writers of the Gospels all include something like this story. They believed that to understand this story was key to understanding Jesus for us. But it's actually unique in another way. It is the only story of Jesus we have where there wasn't a first-hand eyewitness there to write it down. Right? No one is there. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he meets this creature. We'll talk a little bit around who this creature is, the Satan, the devil, a little bit later. But no one is there. Every other thing that Jesus does, someone is there to remember it, to talk about it, to write it down. So how do we know about this story? Jesus told them about it. Right At some point, With his disciples during his ministry, he would have sat down over a fire eating fish and he would have recounted this story to them. So obviously, there is something for us in this story that Jesus believed was absolutely essential to understanding him, understanding his mission, understanding his identity, and more than that, understanding what we as his followers are going to encounter. And so today we are going to be looking at Jesus in the wilderness. Now before we get to the the actual moment that he encounters this test, this temptation, what has happened? He is moving from private into public ministry. Like this is the moment. This is the first 30 years we know very little and then this moment happens. He gets baptized The heavens open and we see all three members of the Trinity on the stage at the same time. And the Father declares, this is my Son in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. And that message is brought from the Father to the Son by the Spirit in the form of a dove. The first thing that the Spirit does is recount this message of love and identity to Jesus. And then what does the Spirit do? He drives him into the wilderness. Right? The two things the Spirit does brings the message of love and then, the mess, and then takes him into this season of temptation. Now, the word for temptation there, if you're looking up in your Bible, if you've got the NIV or the ESV or any of the common translations, they will say temptation. It's actually this Greek word, piradzo. Piradzo. And it's used a number of times in the Greek throughout the Gospels, and most of the time it is translated not as temptation, but as test. So the moments when the Pharisees and the lawyers come to Jesus and they question him on the law, it says that they were there to pirazzo Jesus, right? It wasn't really to tempt him to do evil, it was to test him to test how well he was going to keep to the law of the Lord. And so I think test is helpful because tests have a purpose, right? What do tests do? Tests reveal and tests expose. 
At 17, nearly 20 years ago for me, I underwent my driving test and getting so excited on the final straight back to the test centre, I found myself going 38 in a 30 to the gut-wrenching moment the instructor leaned over and had to remind me, Adam, it's a 30 mile an hour speed limit. Needless to say, I didn't pass that test and you'll be pleased to know I never sped again. And so Jesus is led into the wilderness, and he is tempted by the devil, but he is being tested because of a divine agenda, right? And so the first thing for us to note, not all seasons of life where you feel tension, or you're in a wrestle, or you're feeling pressure or bad, they are not necessarily the moments where the Lord has led you. Yes, stupid decisions can lead us into moments of pain. But there are moments in life when we are doing well. When suddenly something happens and we find ourselves in moments of pressure, moments of tension, moments of discomfort. And I want to tell you today, sometimes that is the Lord. And we are going to find out why. But I would love you to leave this morning being able to answer two questions. In these moments of testing, where the enemy comes against us as followers of Jesus, number one, do we recognize his voice? Do you see it for what it is? And number two, do we know what to do when we hear it? And so by the end, in 25 minutes, I would love us to, following Jesus, be able to answer those two questions. Now, to truly understand what's going on here, we need to set a little bit of context, right? You would have read that Jesus was baptized, and then he was driven into the wilderness for how many days? Forty. Now, if you are familiar with your Bible story right now, your ears should be pricking up, right? Where have you heard people going through the water, going through what the Bible calls a baptism, and then being driven into the wilderness for 40 years, right? This is... The Israelite story. It's the moment in which the Lord redeemed them out of Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea and they were driven into the wilderness for 40 years. And what you're going to find is all the way through this story, the Bible keeps on echoing back to that to understand what's going on. And so let's read. It's coming up on the screen. Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 5. As I read this, just listen out for all the echoes you heard when I taught, read the story. So this is Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 5. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. To what? To humble and to test you in order that you know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which, he, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. So what was the purpose of the test? To humble and to reveal and to expose what was in the heart of the Israelites. I remember about eight years ago when I decided that I was going to propose to Hannah. 
And I saved up the little money that I had, and I went to a jeweler. And, um, and suddenly, I kind of went in there a little bit naive. I just thought, you picked a ring. And then suddenly, they started talking to me about these four Cs. Has anyone heard of these four Cs? A lot of men nodding in the room. Right, so when you get a diamond, I knew nothing about this. I just thought, like, just give me the biggest one that I can afford with my money, right? And they were like, no, 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 no. It's not all about size. It's about cut and color and clarity and uh, carrot. Carrot being the size, right? Yeah, people are nodding. And actually cut, how they cut it, obviously, and carrot, the size of it. I mean, those are the impressive things. But it's the clarity and the color that really determine the shine. Right, the clarity, how many imperfections are in the diamond, and color, whether or not any like gas sneaks into it. And they're like, look, you could buy a big ring with a big carrot, but it's not going to shine. What you really want is color and clarity. And they won me over, and so I can't tell you how excited Hannah was when she got a very small ring that was very, very pure under a microscope. But tests reveal and they expose. Like the four C's is the test of a diamond. And what Deuteronomy is telling us is that there are seasons in the wilderness where the Lord in his grace and in his love will come along and he will put you through something that will expose the color and the clarity of your heart. That is what's going on here. And what we see in this story is that for thousands of years, humans have been failing the test Right, if you, if you know the story of the Israelites, they failed big time. They came, they tested God, they doubted, they complained. At one point, they even asked to die, and they turned and they worshipped idols that were true for them back when they were in slavery. What the test revealed is it's a lot easier to get the Israelites out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And that's the story. But God in his grace comes along and puts us through a season of testing that he reveals the clarity and the color of our heart in order to lead us to more flourishing. And actually what you're going to find is that story is so fundamental because every time Jesus responds to the enemy, he quotes something from either Deuteronomy 6, 7, or 8. 6, 7, or 8. So if you need to know what part of your Bible to memorize, Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8 is a good place to start. And the good news is that Jesus looks evil in the face. He goes through the test, and he passes. He looks evil in the face, and he passes. In a position of physical weakness, when he's tired and hungry, the test reveals that his heart is perfectly clear. There is no inflection in it, no doubt in it, no darkness in it, no unwavering in it. And all of that turns the course of human history. But what is the test that Jesus goes through? And what can we, as people who are going to follow after him, what can we learn from the test that he goes through? So test number one, let's bring it up on the screen. The tempter came to him and said... If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's talk about this creature that comes to Jesus. We know from the story that this creature is evil. 
We don't know very much about him. Now, there is a weakness that Christians can do one of two things which I think are wrong. They can either get obsessed by this evil creature or they can disregard him entirely. Actually, what the Bible is clear is it doesn't talk too much about him, but it does say that this creature is real and this creature opposes God and his people. But also that this creature lives somehow in the tension of living under the sovereignty of God. And in this story, this creature is given three different names. The tempter or the tester, the Satan and the devil. Now, the Satan and the devil basically mean opponent or accuser. So these aren't names. These are titles that are being given to this creature that encounters Jesus. He's here to test. He's here to accuse. And he's here as your opponent. And he's here to bring pain and death and destruction into God's good world. So that's what we know. We don't know much more about him, but that's what we know. And he comes. uh, Sorry, and the final thing to say is what the Bible makes clear is that evil in this world has some malevolent force behind it. Right? Evil in this world is not just the sum of bad human decisions. There is an agency behind the evil that we see in the world. And Jesus, at this moment when he steps from private into public ministry, the first thing he does, and it's a statement of what he's here to do, is he overcomes the evil. He defeats it. That is what Jesus is here to do, to overcome this malevolent evil force that is at work destroying God's good world. And what are the weapons of the devil? Doubt. Ideas manipulation and words, right? Those are what he comes against Jesus with. Words, ideas, doubt. And what does he say? If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, what has the story just told us? Jesus has just been told what? In this moment where the heavens open, you are my beloved son. And so the first thing is, if the, if the Lord leads you into a season of testing, he already gives you what you need to succeed. And so this word comes, but why would Jesus doubt this? Right? He's just had this moment where he's stood in the Jordan, he's been baptized, the heavens have opened, a dove's landed on him. Why would he possibly doubt that he would be the son of God? Because he's hungry. Right? He's really really hungry. The Bible even tells us, like, he is hungry. If you haven't eaten for 40 days, you would know what it's like to be that hungry. Extreme hunger. And I think what the enemy is saying here is, like, if you're the son of God, why are you in this situation? Could this possibly be what belovedness looks like? You're in, like, a living hell. You're so hungry. Could you really be the beloved son of God if you find yourself in this situation? Surely the conditions of love are comfort and care, at least a full belly, like the basic things that a person needs. Surely this is unworthy of you as the son of the living God. So if you are, why are you staying in this situation? Why don't you just turn that to bread? Why don't you just eat? Why don't you just get your belly full? And why doesn't Jesus do it? Because he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. What is happening here 
It's a test of loyalty and trust to the Father to lead Jesus. This verse that he's quoted from is clear that the Father led them into the wilderness, into a time of hunger. Because life is more than the things that we need to eat. Right? Humans do need food to live. Right? There is stuff that is required, food and shelter and clothing to keep us alive. But to be really alive, we need something more. There is something deep inside of us that longs for the purpose and identity that only a Father in heaven can bring. And what Jesus is saying is, I will go without this so that I truly take hold of this. This is what Jesus is saying. And enemy, I know what I believe is I trust the Father to lead me. And I'm hungry right now, but I live by something so much more than that. And so if the Lord, if the Father believes that right now the best thing is for me to be hungry, then I'm going to be hungry because my circumstances will not cause me to question my belovedness. I am the Son of God. I am beloved of the Father. And there is a question of priority right now that I'm pushing into, which is my highest priority is that I live by every word that proceeds from the Father. Food will come, but right now I'm focusing And to turn that into bread would be to move out of the plan that the Lord has given me. The Spirit led me here. The Spirit led me into hunger, and I'm going to be hungry until I learn that every word proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And for us, Deuteronomy 8, it talks about discipline, right? The Father led them into the wilderness to discipline them. There is something about the wilderness which is a discipline time, discipline season for us. Wilderness seasons have a purpose. It's not that God has left you. It's that God is leading you into more. And Bill said this so well last week, talking about the profound love that God has for his people. But he said, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Discipline is not punishment. Like That is not what the Bible is saying. It's not saying it's punishment. It is a commitment to teaching and leading you into a place of deeper flourishing, of exposing areas of your heart where doubt and darkness exist, and to lead you in a place of fully flourishing. We believe that we have a good father. But I was listening to someone, I thought they put it so well, and they were like, we need to remember that God is a good father. He's not a good Father Christmas. Right, Father Christmas comes once a year, and he gives you toys and gifts if you've been good and leaves you alone if you're bad. That is not what God is. God is a good father who is committed to leading you into everything that you can be. And sometimes that involves discipline. And actually, as we step into discipline, what we realize is that the color and the clarity of our heart can improve. So number one, this test is about the identity of Jesus and whether he will or will not trust the Father. Is he a son? And if so, what kind of son is he going to be? Is he going to be one that uses his power for good, for his, own, for his own good, or is he going to be one that trusts the way of the Father? Test two, then the devil took him to the holy city And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So he's in a vision here. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, 
it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So what's happening here? Well, the accuser, the tester, comes and quotes Psalm 91. Now, who has memorized Psalm 91? Anyone? A few of you? Come on, have you? It's not one of the many that he has. So the devil comes and accurately quotes Psalm 91. But if you go away and read Psalm 91, and I encourage you to do it, Psalm 91 is this profound psalm that talks about God's care and protection over those that he loves. It starts like, if you make the Lord your God your refuge, he will deliver you. And what the enemy comes and does is he comes and says, well, okay, you are the son of God. But is the Father really as good as you believe that he is? Let's just test it. Let's put that to the test. Right? Is he trustworthy? So I, I get you're not going to turn it into bread. You're trusting the Father. But is he worthy of that trust? So you can be really sure. Let's put it to the test. He said that in Psalm 91, he said in his very own words that he will deliver you if you fly. He will not let your foot hit a stone. And so if test number one is about Jesus' identity... Test number two is about the Father's identity. It's about the Father's faithfulness to Jesus. So first, the enemy will get you to question your identity. And if he can't do that, he'll get you to question your Father's identity. Is he really good? I mean, look around, Jesus. You're in the wilderness. You're lonely. You're hungry. Is he really good? Would he really come through for you? And this test is as old as time itself. Right? We talked about Jesus and then back to the Israelites. Can you think of another test in the Bible where the enemy comes to the Son of God and says, does God really have your best in mind? Page three, right? Page three, he comes. He's like, did he really say don't eat from that tree? Oh, that's because that's where the really good stuff is. Just eat that tree. And so this test has been the test of humanity ever since page three of the Bible. Can we really trust God is good? That he really has our best in mind? That he will really come through for us? And Jesus says, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. I will not do that. Why? Because to do that puts the Father in my service. He's like some cosmic emergency service that I can just call upon. And he says, I will not do that. I am here to serve the Father. I will not put him to the test. I will not place him under my service. I will not do that. And so test one is the identity of the Son. Test two is the identity of the Father. Test three, let's bring it up on the screen. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Notice the way the language changes in this. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the first thing to note is in this the Bible makes a claim that this evil creature has some degree of influence and authority over the kingdoms of this world. 
It's a big claim. But it's one that is true throughout the New Testament. We encounter people who are plagued by evil, like individuals. But we also encounter what the Bible talks about as the principality and powers. These institution or powers that serve evil purposes. And we've got no, question, we've got no reason to question the devil here. To say that he doesn't. Like, it would appear that he really has some degree of authority that he can hand over to Jesus for all the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus came for more, right? In Matthew 28, 18, after he is resurrected, what does Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In heaven, Jesus came for something that the enemy could never offer him. That's the truth of everything the enemy offers to you. It looks good, it makes big promises, but it always falls short. And Jesus, he looked and he said no. And that's why we sing, all hail King Jesus. The Lord of heaven and earth. And Jesus He just responds to the other temptations. But to this one, he says, no, get away from me. Now, based just with this story, it could be interesting to see, like, was he just done? Was three enough? Was that all that he could be bothered with? You know, was he hungry? Was that the end of it? Was it it to do with worship? But I think there's a clue to why Jesus has such a visceral reaction to this one. And it's how he actually uses very similar words again. Can anyone remember when? In Matthew 16, right, to Peter, his disciple. So we have this moment where Jesus says to his disciples, again, a question of his identity. Who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, like a prophet, Jeremiah, Moses, they go Elijah. And then he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And he says, yes, I am the Messiah. I'm God's king here to represent God's people. And then the Bible says, and then he began to explain how he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And what does Peter say? No, that's not what Messiahs do. Messiahs conquer, right? Messiahs win. They don't suffer. This is what you're here to do, Jesus. You overcome evil. You will not go and suffer many things. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Very similar words, right? Why to this thing does Jesus have such a visceral reaction? Well, it's because Jesus is here to be an entirely different kind of human. And he's in here to usher in an entirely different kind of kingdom. One that is not marked by force or by might, but by self-sacrificial love. And both with the enemy here and with Peter a few years later, what they're trying to give him is the kingdoms without the cross. They're trying to give him power without sacrifice. They are trying to usher in a kingdom that doesn't require that he lay down his life in love. And to that, to that invitation to compromise the ethic of the kingdom, Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. I will have nothing to do with the way that you go about your work. Get away from me. I will not compromise the way of my father. It's trying to remove the cost of it. It's trying to remove the cross of it. And to that, Jesus says, no. 
I am here to be God's son, trusting God's character, living God's way. And so the devil leaves, right? He's done. He's done everything that he could, and it says he leaves until an opportune time. And in Luke, it tells us that Jesus leaves the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He's led into the Spirit, led in by the Spirit, and he leaves in the power of the Spirit. And then if you track every time for the rest of his ministry that Jesus encounters a demonic force, there is no confrontation, right? They wear the faces of defeat. They plead for mercy. They say they know him and they want something. There never is again this battle because Jesus was victorious here. The enemy came, he tempted him, and Jesus, unlike any before him, passed the test. And now all the demonic forces knew there is nothing that they could do to sever the bond of trust and love from father to son. And that makes Jesus unstoppable. And so... As we come into land, and maybe the band could come back up, how do we know how to, coming back to those first questions, how do we know how to recognize the whispers of the accuser? And how do we know what to do when they come against us? Just like with Adam and Eve, just, with, just like with the Israelites, just like with us. Well, this, this next uh, slide is going to show you an image if you track the way that this story has been um, depicted by artists through church history, if we hit the next slide, between the 12 and the 1500s, as the artists begin to grapple with the form of evil, like what does evil look like? And between those centuries, most often the devil appears as a monk with, you can't really see it there, but he's got this like reptilian foot and this like reptilian wing coming. And what are there? And I think this is really striking because if the devil shows up in like a red latex with like a pitchfork, right? He's really easy to spot, right? Comes and sits on the end of your bed and says, "Hey, doubt and do this." You'd be like, "No, not going to do that." But I think what this shows us quite powerfully is that often he turns up and he's nuanced, and the best lies have the most truth in them, right? And so he comes and he quotes scripture. And he comes and he sounds like wisdom. And he comes and he tries to sound a little bit like the voice of the Lord. And what he does is he slowly begins to massage the truth and move you away from the promise. To question your identity. To question the care of the love and the Father. To entice you towards compromising the way of the kingdom. But just because he talks like that, his mission is the same. He hates you. And he wants your destruction. And so, do we recognize the voice of the whisper? Well, I think to, you recognize it, but you recognize anything that comes that makes you question yourself, question your belovedness, and question your trust of the Father. When those things come in, be wary of them. Take a second look. Get some wisdom. Talk to someone about them. Because maybe it's this monk with reptilian feet whispering in your ear. Maybe it's that voice that comes and says, wow, look at your life. Look at the pain you're in. Look how all your dreams haven't come true. Could you really be beloved? 
Is this really what it looks like to be the beloved son or daughter of the king? Surely he doesn't love you. Surely he's not for you. Go and make it on your own. Or maybe he's powerless. Maybe he's forgotten about you. Maybe the voice of shame comes in and says you've done something so bad. Maybe he doesn't love you anymore. Maybe he doesn't care about you. Maybe he tolerates you, but he doesn't really have your best in mind. Maybe he cares about everyone else, but not about you. And to those voices, and I mean this in the most literal sense, they need to be sent to hell. Because that is where they came from. And so the authority that is given to you as sons and daughters of the king is the right to say the same thing that Jesus says. Get away from me, Satan. Get away from me. I know three things. I know I'm beloved. I know I can trust the Father. And I know that he's called me to a kingdom that is everlasting. And so now I wonder if we could all stand. And I'd just love to pray for those who feel like they're in a season of testing right now. Right? If you're honest, there's been something that I've said today that feels like it resonates with where you are, what you're going through. Remember... Seasons of testing isn't because you've necessarily done something wrong. It might be that you've done something very right. But the Lord in his love and grace wants more for you. So there's a moment now where he's coming and saying, hey, there's parts of your life, there's parts of your faith where there is something. The clarity and the color is not quite right. Let's do something about that. Let's push you deeper into belovedness. Let's push you deeper into faith and trust. And so as we sing this song, maybe you could just... I don't know how we'd do this. Come to the front. We'd love to pray. We've got a number of people. Ita and Lloyd will pray. We've got all these people here at the moment. And so we'd love to come forward. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story that you shared with your disciples. Lord Jesus, thank you for the encouragement that it brings us today. Lord, we see the hand of the evil one. Lord, we know that he has been around since the beginning, coming against your purposes and your people. And so right now, for every person here who feels like they're in a season of testing, Spirit of God, I pray that you would come and encourage them. Lord, would you speak confidence and strength to their heart right now? And Lord Jesus, we declare the promise of the Bible that what the enemy meant for harm, you will turn it to your good that they will leave this wilderness season with a deeper sense of their belovedness, with a deeper trust in who you are and the way that you are caring for them, and a deeper commitment to the kingdom that is everlasting. And we ask this, and we know that it's true, because 2,000 years ago, you went into the wilderness and you won the test. And you were proved victorious, and you will forever be victorious. Amen.